1 Corinthians chapter 5 verse 1. It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you and of a kind that is not tolerated even among pagans, for a man has his father's wife. And you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. For though absent in body, I am present in spirit, and as if present, I have already pronounced judgment on the one who did such a thing. When you are assembled in the name of the Lord Jesus, and my spirit is present with the power of our Lord Jesus, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. Your boasting is not good. Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? Cleanse out the old leaven, that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed. Let us therefore celebrate the festival, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity and truth. I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world, or the greedy and swindlers, or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of the world. But now I am writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother, if he is guilty of sexual immorality, or greed, or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard, or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. For what have I to do with judging outsiders? Is it not those inside the church whom you are to judge? God judges those outside. Purge the evil person from among you. Here ends a New Testament reading. Well, I'm afraid I'm going to start by getting you thinking uh, on a Sunday morning. Uh, What would you say uh, was Jesus' purpose in coming into this world Uh, What was Jesus' purpose uh, when he came down that first Christmas? I guess as Christians, uh, things that might come to mind uh, are to die for us, uh, to save us, to free us from sin, uh, to show God's love for us. Uh, And they're all uh, good answers. Uh, 1 Timothy 1.15 says, Christ Jesus came into the world to save sinners. Uh, Luke chapter 19 verse 10 Jesus said, for the Son of Man came to seek and to save that which was lost. But what has he saved us for? The key thing that the Bible points us to is that he saved us to be God's holy people. He saved us to be holy and enjoy a relationship with God. Uh, Holy meaning that we're to be pure and distinctive and set apart to be a light to the world. In Ephesians it says, Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her to make her holy. And in Paul's second letter to the Corinthians, he says, Jesus died for all, that those who live might no longer live for themselves, but for him who for their sake died and was raised. And there are many other passages that I could point to. Uh, And yet in this day and age, many people seek an experience of God 
uh, or claim to follow him, and yet aren't striving to be like him or grow in holiness. In fact, they want a God who doesn't make any demands of them at all. Uh, Martin Rowe, uh, writing in The Observer, uh, says this, this is the era of the do-it-yourself faith of making your own God. And not surprisingly, that leads to a God who affirms whatever we do. And it's not just a problem for today. Uh, It was a problem back in Corinth, as we read in that passage. And it'd be really helpful if you could have that passage in front of you. It's on page 954. Page 954. In our passage today, uh, we see that the Corinthians thought that as Christians, they were free from any moral constraints. In fact, they were even more tolerant of sin uh, than the world around them. Straight away in verse 1, Paul says, It is actually reported that there is sexual immorality among you, and of a kind that is not even tolerated among the pagans. Sadly, that can be the case in the church today as well. Uh, But as we'll see as we go through, Paul shows that the Corinthians, that a healthy church doesn't simply seek a great experience of God, uh, but strives for holiness. And I've got three points, uh, and my first point is a healthy church strives for holiness. As we've seen already, God has saved us to be a holy people, and so we're to strive for holiness. Uh, We're to become more like Jesus by displaying the fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. We're to grow in holiness, uh, sanctification as we call it. And that's something which requires effort. uh, And it demonstrates our love for God. And we know that the Spirit helps us in that fight against sin. In Paul's letter to the Galatians, he says that if we walk by the Spirit, uh, then we won't gratify the desires of the sinful nature. And he lists them as sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. The importance of holiness and godly living is essential for us to take on board today, just as it was back in Corinth. The Corinthians were relaxed in their attitude to sin because they had a wrong idea of the Christian life. As we saw last week, they didn't believe that there would be a future eternal life. Uh, So they thought the Christian life was just all about having a great spiritual experience in the here and now. And right throughout the letter of 1 Corinthians, we see Paul correcting their thinking. And in this chapter, he challenges them to take sin seriously as a church and to strive for holiness. In verse 1, Paul points them to a particularly shocking Example of sexual immorality among them. Apparently a man has his father's wife. Uh, That phrase implies that it was probably a stepmother. Uh, We don't know how old the woman was. Uh, Women married very young in those days, so whilst it's surprising, uh, it's maybe less surprising than you might first think. Uh, We don't know whether the father was alive or dead. Uh, But whatever the answer to these questions, Paul calls it immorality and of a kind that even those outside the church wouldn't tolerate. You see, this wasn't just a a one-off, one-night stand. Uh, The verb used uh, has, his father's wife, rather than had, suggests that it's an ongoing thing. 
Uh, there's no repentance and there's no fleeing from sin. And you see, that's the, that's the key issue here. Uh, you see, the most shocking thing here isn't, isn't that sin. It's the Corinthians' response to it. Uh, take a look with me at verse 2. Verse 2. Paul says, and you are arrogant. Ought you not rather to mourn? Let him who has done this be removed from among you. Paul can't believe how little they care about what's going on. They're not striving for holiness at all. Rather than repenting and mourning the sin among them, the Corinthians are actually boasting about it. It may be that they see it as a sign of their freedom in Christ to do whatever they want. It's as if they're thinking, because, uh, we're, f- because we're forgiven uh, in Jesus, we can just go on sinning. But Paul says, shouldn't you rather be mourning? It reminds us of Jesus' Sermon on the Mount when he says, blessed are those who mourn and blessed are the meek and brokenhearted. It's those who recognize the horror of their sin and how little they deserve God's forgiveness, who Jesus welcomes into his kingdom. And I guess uh, that's the first challenge to us today. Do we mourn our personal sin and the sin of our church? Are we brokenhearted as we come before God today, uh, recognizing that we don't deserve anything from God? Or have we just become numb to our sin even arrogant about it. You see, a healthy church strives for holiness and mourns its sin. But mourning our own sin uh, doesn't mean that we shouldn't wisely uh, rebuke others at times. That's what we see next. In fact, it's that very humility uh, which means we're willing to take sin seriously and to submit to what God says here about church discipline, uh, which brings us on to my second point. Church discipline is good for the sinner and the church. You see, this is one of the key passages in the Bible uh, about church discipline. Uh, Paul's said in verse two that they should remove this man from the church. Uh, And take a look with me at verse nine. Verse nine. Paul says, I wrote to you in my letter not to associate with sexually immoral people, not at all meaning the sexually immoral of this world or the greedy and swindlers or idolaters, since then you would need to go out of this world. But now I'm writing to you not to associate with anyone who bears the name of brother if he is guilty of sexual immorality or greed or is an idolater, reviler, drunkard or swindler, not even to eat with such a one. I wonder how you react to reading that. It's not an easy passage, is it? And Christians can easily slip into two camps. Uh, Those who say that we should never judge uh, and those who judge too much. Uh, Those who are unwilling to judge often ignore the Bible's teaching on church discipline and holiness. Uh, And those who uh, judge too much can be self-righteous and judgmental, thinking of themselves as better than others. But there's another way, uh, the biblical way. And in the book of Matthew, Jesus condemns those who are judgmental and self-righteous, those who are critical of others uh, without seeing their own faults. To them he says, First take the log out of your own eye and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. And all of us need to keep on remembering that. But while Jesus says don't judge, he also teaches in the same book that we should be discerning and careful. 
And he teaches specifically on church discipline in Matthew chapter 18. And what he says is that church discipline is sometimes necessary, uh, but only as a last resort. Uh, And what Jesus says there is that the first thing that should happen um, is for someone to speak to the person involved in private on their own. Uh, It should be done in a spirit of love for the person and wanting the best for them, uh, but without shying away from saying what's needed. And if the person doesn't listen and they remain unrepentant and they're unwilling to change, uh, then Jesus instructs us to go back with one or two other people uh, who can back up the fact that there's an issue. And if the person's still not willing to listen, uh, the case should be brought before the church uh, with another chance for them to repent. Uh, And if then, and only then, they're still unwilling to listen and to turn from sin, Uh, then discipline should be brought as a last resort. Uh, So as we look at our passage today, Paul isn't saying if any sin is found, uh, the person should be thrown out of the church. Uh, There wouldn't be any of us left otherwise. No, the situation in Corinth is that this person is continuing in sin after numerous chances to recognize it and turn from it. Uh, They're not listening. And at that point... There's a need to exercise church discipline, uh, not to be judgmental, uh, but both for the good of the individual and for the good of the church. Good parents discipline their children wisely because they love them. And church discipline, when done wisely, is a loving thing. It's both good for the individual and good for the church. Uh, Take a look with me at verse 5. It's good for the individual. Paul says this, you are to deliver this man to Satan for the destruction of the flesh. And I think Paul just means here that you are to remove him uh, from the church because Ephesians tells us that Satan is at work in those outside the church. Uh, Why remove him? Uh, Well, verse five, so that his spirit may be saved in the day of the Lord. It's for the good of the individual, so that he may be saved. They're to be no longer regarded as members of the church family. Uh, They're not to be allowed to share the Lord's Supper with the church. Uh, Paul uses pretty harsh language, doesn't he? But it's discipline and it's it's not meant to be pleasant. But it's not wanting them to go to hell. It's with the desperate hope that they will turn back from their sin and their foolish ways and come back to God. Paul talks about it being for the destruction of the flesh. Uh, Flesh can be translated sinful nature. Uh, So it's for the destruction of their sinful nature. Uh, The hope is that they will wake up and realize the seriousness of going against God and the wisdom of turning back to him so that they will be saved in the day of the Lord. Uh, They'll be ready for Jesus' return when he comes back. Speaking the truth in love is uncomfortable, but it's absolutely necessary So church discipline is good for the individual, uh, and it's also good for the church. Uh, We see throughout Paul's letter, and particularly in uh, the later chapters, uh, that the Corinthians had a very individual view of faith. Uh, It was all about me and what I can get out of it, my freedom and my rights. And yet throughout the whole New Testament, we constantly see that that faith uh, is about becoming part of God's people. Uh, It's a corporate thing, and it's lived out together as a God's family. Uh, And Paul reminds the Corinthians of this. Uh, Look with me at verse six. Verse six. He says, Do you not know that a little leaven leavens the whole lump? 
Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump as you really are unleavened. Uh, Paul's saying because you're a church family together now, uh, how you behave is going to impact others in the church family. Uh, Sophie and I actually got a bread making course for Christmas uh, and so we've been trying our hands at a bit of baking uh, with mixed results I'll say. Um, but uh, it's amazing the way you just put flour and water and yeast together, uh, mix it up, uh, leave it in a nice warm place by the fire, uh, and it doubles in size. Uh, it's fantastic. Uh, and Paul's saying, just like yeast spreads throughout dough uh, and grows in bread, sin will spread through the church if no action is taken. Uh, if a leader in our Sunday school uh, consistently gets drunk at the weekend uh, and no action is taken, then there'll be others who assume that that's okay. Uh, if someone is known to be dishonest in business to make a quick buck, others will follow. And if someone lives a sexually immoral lifestyle and nothing is done, then a culture will develop in the church where people assume that anything goes. You can belong here, but it doesn't matter uh, about what's said from the front. Uh, and holiness isn't really that important here. And sin spreads through the church until it's no different to the world around. It's not distinctive, and it won't be a light to the world. It'll be no good to anybody. Now, at this point, uh, let's stop the train. Uh, we've been, I've been hammering that train home, that, uh, the, mess, the importance of church discipline uh, and holiness. Uh, but let's stop that train uh, and I acknowledge here that uh, all of us have issues. Uh, none of us are without sin, you and me. Um, and some of us uh, might be particularly feeling the weight uh, of this teaching this morning from Paul. Uh, and it's important that this passage does wake us up to our indifference to sin. But we also see in this passage God's grace and the reason why we should want to please him. It's the whole reason why Paul's used this yeast analogy, this bread analogy. It's because it links with the Passover festival uh, and the time when Jews ate unleavened bread. Uh, so look down with me again at verse 7. Verse 7. Cleanse out the old leaven that you may be a new lump, as you really are unleavened. For Christ, our Passover lamb, has been sacrificed let us therefore celebrate the festival, uh, not with the old leaven, the leaven of malice and evil, but with the unleavened bread of sincerity, sincerity and truth. At Passover time, uh, they remembered uh, God's rescue of the Israelites from, the slave, from slavery under the Egyptians uh, by sacrificing a lamb. Uh, you might know the story of Moses leading the Israelites uh, out of Egypt. Uh, despite the Israelites' sin and their lack of trust in God, uh, he rescues them. And as part of that rescue, uh, the Israelites put forward a lamb uh, that was killed instead of their firstborn son. Uh, the blood of the lamb protected them from God's judgment. Uh, it died in the place of their son. Uh, and it was a picture of what was to come. It was a picture of the perfect rescue when Jesus would die in the place of others on the cross. Uh, back in the American Civil War, uh, there were bands of outlaws robbing uh, and pillaging unsuspecting communities. Uh, and the story is told of a band of outlaws in Kansas uh, who were captured by the local military. Uh, and the standard procedure at the time was to execute them on the spot. Uh, and so a trench was dug. Uh, the firing squad was lined up. 
And suddenly a man rushed out of the undergrowth, uh, shouting, wait, wait. Uh, He pointed to a man who was waiting to be shot. And he said, let that man go free. Uh, He has a wife and babies, and he's needed at home. Let me take his place. I'm guilty. It was a crazy appeal. Uh, But after a consultation, the military allowed it. And the condemned man was set free. And the volunteer took his place and was shot dead. And later on, the rescued man went back and buried the volunteer. And on his grave, he inscribed the words, sacred to the memory of Willie Lee. He took my place in the line. He died for me. Jesus took our place in the line. He died for you and me. We don't know whether Willie Lee deserved to be in that lineup, but what we do know is that Jesus didn't deserve to be there. He was completely perfect. He had done nothing wrong. In fact, he was the son of God, and yet he didn't grasp onto it. He lowered himself in order to take our place in the line at the cost of his own life at the cross. And that's, that's why Paul says in verse 8, let us celebrate the festival. Let's remember what Jesus has done for us. Uh, but not with the old leaven of malice and evil, uh, not by continuing in sin, but instead with sincerity and truth, uh, striving for holiness. Uh, Jesus has died because of our sins, so how could we continue in sin? If we're truly thankful, how could we continue in sin? But notice here that Paul doesn't say uh, celebrate with perfection and truth. He says celebrate with sincerity and truth. We don't have to be perfect to celebrate what Jesus has done. Or none of us could celebrate. But we do need to recognize our sin and mourn it and be willing to accept help in overcoming it. If our attitude is just that we don't care about sin, then we need to question whether we've really understood the good news of Jesus. But if we put our trust in Jesus and we're striving to be holy, then we don't need to fear God's judgment, whatever we've done. Uh, But we do need to recognize that God will discipline us at times. He does it for our good so that we keep growing in holiness. Uh, And so we have to ask ourselves, uh, are we a church that is rejoicing in Jesus and striving for holiness? Uh, Not just individually, but together as a church. Uh, Is this a place where we're willing to say the thing that is not always easy or comfortable, but is truthful and loving, uh, recognizing that we're all on the same playing field here? All of us are in God's family because of Jesus' rescue. Uh, Can we do that in our midweek groups? Uh, Are we willing to talk to each other about uh, the Sunday sermon uh, with honesty? Uh, Have we made sure that uh, we have Christians in our lives who we trust to be honest with us? and who we're willing to humbly listen to. Uh, And whilst it's the the more obvious sins that will naturally be in line for church discipline, uh, we should be just as thorough in examining ourselves uh, for things like jealousy, pride, and fits of anger as we pursue holiness together as a church family. Uh, But as we we finish, uh, let's remember that holiness isn't just following rules and laws. uh, It's following God himself. Uh, God is wonderfully holy. It's part of his amazing character. Uh, When we say that God is holy, we mean that his character is blameless and perfect and spotless. 
he can't be charged with any wrong. He's infinitely loving and completely just. He was willing to send his son to die on the cross. And so a healthy church strives for holiness because of who God is, because of his amazing character, and because of what he's done for us. Well, there couldn't be a better prayer uh, to pray after that than this final hymn. Uh, It says, Lord of the church, we pray for our renewing. And the last line of the first verse, bring us nearer to what a church should be. Let's stand and sing that as a prayer.